Real quick before we start the show, Pacific Bitcoin is going to be awesome. November 10th and 11th, Santa Monica, California. Do hope to see you there. You can go to PacificBitcoin.com to buy tickets. Use promo code CAFE for a discount. In the words of Michael Saylor, it is going to be the Bitcoin event of the year. VIP gets you into everything, including the VIP party as well as the VIP rap party. Of course, GAA gets you all kinds of cool stuff as well, and there's going to be plenty of events and things to do. I hope to see you there. Hello and welcome to the Cafe Bitcoin Podcast, brought to you by Swan Bitcoin, the best way to buy and learn about Bitcoin. I'm your host, Alex Danzig, and we're excited to announce that we're bringing the Cafe Bitcoin conversation from Twitter Spaces to you on this show, the Cafe Bitcoin Podcast, Monday through Friday, every week. Join us as we speak to guests like Michael Saylor, Lynn Alden, Corey Clipston, Greg Foss, Tomer Strolight, and many others in the Bitcoin space. Also, be sure to hit that subscribe button. Make sure you get notifications when we launch a new episode. You can join us live on Twitter Spaces Monday through Friday, starting at 7 a.m. Pacific and 10 a.m. Eastern every morning to become part of the conversation yourself. Thanks again. We look forward to bringing you the best Bitcoin content daily here on the Cafe Bitcoin Podcast. Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. I have... I have the 100%. That's crazy. I missed the peace sign. Ooh. Yeah, that was a I weird had it too. omission. Yeah, I, I like the peace. I mean, what's up with that? What do I do now? I don't even know. Mm. You wait for Elon. This one? <laughs> you wait for Elon, exactly. I mean, why can't, you, why can't you tap and hold and just pick anyone? Like, they're so afraid to let us communicate. Right? They're they're so afraid to let you express the emotions you want to. You have to you have to express emotions that are approved. Approved. That'd be madness. That'd be madness. I think that'd be fun though. Like we could pick the, you know, give give each other the bird, and uh, there's a few other ones that I'd like to put up there. They won't let yeah. me. They still have the original. The fascinating <laughs> thing about it though is is that. You'd have to be at the live show to get the full context of what it means, because if you're just listening to the audio, you wouldn't see all the. See, that's that's part of the fun of being part of the live show, is that you get to yeah. see everybody's emojis and stuff, which is hilarious. Because when somebody drops a really funny bomb, like all the laughing emojis and stuff, it's just really part of the experience, in my opinion. Yeah, I think. I mean, Twitter Space has really changed the game a lot. Uh, for me, at least, I mean, I think it's what it's what drew me into uh, Bitcoin Twitter in in large part. You know, a couple of years ago, is the Twitter Spaces that were taken off at that time. I have found it to be the most useful and engaging and non time wasting use of social media um, that I've encountered yet. It's almost not even like it's almost not even social media. It just feels like we're on a fucking you know morning conference call every day you know yeah signing into our bitcoin jobs <laughs> it <laughs> wicked you're so damn funny <laughs> you're wicked is a gem he's a he's a uh he's an amazing contributor to uh in my opinion to bitcoin all the data all the research, all the amazing videos if you have not checked out this man's videos throw this dude a follow 
Check out his videos. Awesome. You know what? We just need to go around and talk about all these awesome people. Tomer Strolight. Papa Tomer. This dude is an OG, been around for a really long time. He's one of the most grounded men I know. <clears throat> Spiritually grounded, I mean, tremendous wisdom. And uh, writes amazing articles. Check out his work. Surfer Jim. This dude. Salt of the earth. <laughs> Builds custom homes. Like, he, people relate to him because he's just a regular dude. But get this. He's a regular dude that did a deep dive on the technology of Bitcoin to prove to himself that it wasn't a freaking scam. <laughs> he's got a great perspective. And timechainstats.com. Go check it out. I've met this dude in person. He's got an amazing, uh, what's the word? Giving heart. Uh, he he volunteers for all kinds of shit, contributes his personal time. He's a smart, smart dude. Go check out timechainstats.com. Shane Hazel. Again, another dude. He, he He's a very straightforward guy. Southern gentleman. Very direct. No bullshit. Always willing to help people. I see him out there helping people all the time. Great heart. Peter. Oh, man, Peter. <laughs> He's the stack chain maniac. What can I say? I've witnessed Peter's growth from the very get-go, starting out as a Bitcoiner, buying his very first Bitcoins to where he is now. And it's pretty amazing, actually. Boomers have zero excuse. Like, this dude has gone out there, done the work, done the heavy lifting, never stops growing. Love it all. Uh, bloodbath. I don't know you as well as I know the rest of these dudes, but I know you've been around for a while. And by the way, we could go on and on and on and on. There's so many people that I've not mentioned here. Many of them are in the audience right now that are amazing contributors to making this whole thing go, in my opinion. And Bitcoin is unlike anything else I've ever encountered. You know, I was talking to a client the other day. And we were talking about the one-way door. You know, once you figure out what Bitcoin is, it's a one-way door. You walk in the door, you never walk back out. Once you see it, you can never unsee it. And the number of people who are seeing it and understanding it and walking through that one-way door goes up every single day. And it's, it's an amazing thing because once people become a Bitcoiner, once people understand what Bitcoin is, there's nothing like it in the world. I've never seen an interest a hobby, an anything where people are this passionate about trying to help people, other people understand it. Like, show me the group of people who's out there saying, you guys should all adopt the United States dollar. It's amazing. Nobody's fucking doing that. It's, it's just a completely, completely different thing. Alex, morning rant. Thanks for the nice compliments, brother. Really appreciate it. Yeah, you bet. Everybody up here <clears throat> fully deserves it, 100%. Okay, you are listening to Cafe Bitcoin, episode 192. Pacific Bitcoin is now 33 days away. Good morning to Pubby, also a huge contributor. The winner of, <laughs> one of three winners of Sailor's 1 million sats lightning meme contest. Hey, good morning. Uh, yeah, um, if you would have told me a year ago that I'd uh, be 
getting a million sats from Michael Saylor for a meme with a Buddha with a big dick, I probably would have called you crazy. But hey, man, that's how Bitcoin works. <laughs> hey, this, the real question, Pubby, is did you get a follow? That's the real question. Yeah, I was wondering the same thing. I'm sorry if I got a what? A follow from following. Oh, you know I haven't checked. Valuable. Yeah, I should. You know what? I should reach out to him. But here's the cool said, thing. Yeah, go ahead. This is this is how humble this guy is. He doesn't even look to see if he got a follow from Michael Saylor. Asshole. By the way, I need to make a correction and an apology. I said Shane Hazel. It's Shane Trammell. I get my Shanes mixed up. I'm sorry, Shane. You've been with me for over, almost a year now. My brain just completely farted your last name. No so problem, man. Shane Trammell. Okay, uh, we, there is so much news to talk about today. Holy crap. Um, I would like to just dig right in, because if we don't, we're not going to be able to cover it all. <laughs> First one, Delaware Court Chancery Judge Kathleen McCormick granted Elon Musk's request for a stay in an order that gives the parties three weeks to negotiate and close their merger. You guys think it's going to go through? Or is this a stalling tactic by Elon? Did I did I see something correct that one of the the things Twitter was saying was as terms of agreement was he was not to allow um, Trump and certain conservatives back on the platform? Did I read that correctly? That would be a really weird clause <laughs> in a buyout, wouldn't it? Hey, I saw it on Twitter. It must be true. I mean, it. it it wouldn't have surprised me if they threw that in there, but I mean, that seems kind of ludicrous to me <laughs> as, a, as a condition of you buying our company. You can't allow this one person <laughs> to use it. I, I thought what was interesting was they had a bit of a purge. I don't know if people noticed this. Um, people were saying they were losing all different amounts of followers. And I thought that was sort of a precursor to them sort of cleaning up their act a bit before um, he came 100%. in. 100%. Yeah, yeah, man. I think that's right. I think that they're frantically and and like in panic mode running around shutting down algorithms that's that that decrease people's reach. They're shutting down the algorithms that cause automatic unfollows. I don't know if you guys have seen that, but that's a thing too where like they'll cause accounts to unfollow another account to reduce that account's follower account. Like that's a real thing. I've seen it on my own account. Like where I'm following somebody and then they'll remove my follow. And then I go back later and I see that, I, I how'd that happen? And then I follow them like, and it happens again. So that's a thing. Um, so yeah, I think they're in there rapidly scrambling to clean up their shit before Elon gets in there and sees what the fuck they're doing. Fuck yeah. Have you noticed that you cannot access the analytics by link anymore? They shut that shit off. I wonder why. Oh, Wait, another thing at all though. I noticed that it's broken on my on my uh, app, but not on my desktop. So it's pretty annoying. But do you mean per tweet? No, there used to be a link in the app where you could go under more. Like if you go look at your profile and you go to more, there used to be a thing you could hit to look at your analytics. That is gone. Doesn't exist anymore. You can still access the analytics oh. if you know the actual URL. It's there. Right. It's there, Alex. You got to go on. Look down. There's a thing because yeah, I was looking for it too. Um, you, there's a little th 
um, a couple drop downs. One's called Creator Studio. So on the left side, go down and you'll so see they Creator moved Studio. They oh, moved on mine it. is done. It's on the left side. Okay, oh. interesting. All right. All right. That's me just jumping to conclusion. What Puppy just said under Creator Studio Analytics, you got to hit the drop down arrow. Got it. Got it. Okay. Hey, by the way, right. Tomer, you have a uh, fake someone. I'm faking your ID out there on Twitter. I just got a friend. Lots. There's yeah. lots. <laughs> yeah, I, I get that. I, they come in waves. Be careful. I will not be. I will not genuinely ask you how your trade is going in direct messages. Nobody here is ever going to ask you to send them Bitcoin, and they promise to send you two. None of that kind of stuff. That will never happen from these people. Okay. Other news items. Go ahead, Ant. I was just going to say that I also don't have analytics underneath my uh, creator studio. It just says moments. So there is a case where you're not seeing it. Are you on your phone or on mm -hmm. desktop? Android. Yeah, my desktop shows it. I haven't tried it on the phone. I'll take a look. I'm on Android here. Um, it, you know, what you can always do is just, you know, reinstall the Twitter app and check it out. And then I got to sign in again. Okay, let's move on. <clears throat> Next item up. Leaked EU docs warn members to clamp down on crypto mixers. Not just mixers. Here's an interesting thing. The EU regulators are warning member states that the European Banking Authority will clamp down on crypto mixers and other privacy-preserving technologies. Because you can't be having privacy, guys. Like, you know, that's so... This is so much, it's so much bullshit. They always do it under the guise of protecting you. We're protecting you from terrorist financing and we're protecting you from uh, all of this illegal money laundering stuff and we're protecting you. And, and so the EU's primary financial regulator says in this report, quote, shall pay particular attention to products, transactions, and technologies, technologies that may favor anonymity. You can't have anonymity, guys, such as privacy wallets, in other words, self-custody wallets, mixers, or tumblers. Now, the most ironic thing to me is that, you know, Bitcoin was used in something like point, it's not even 1% of transactions of, of Bitcoin last year were used in illicit activity. And for U.S. dollars, the amount is absolutely fucking massive. Why don't they go and do this with the banks that are facilitating all this shit? Why has it got to be this one time? I'll tell you why. It's because they are terrified of losing their power and their fucking control. Madam Lazard over there with the EU is all about this shit right now. Go ahead, Wicked. I was just going to say, I mean, man, what the fuck are they going to do when Fetty Mints comes out? Because that's just going to blow their fucking mind. Like, <laughs> they just have no option, man. It's, it's, I mean, can you imagine that, right? Like, a federated mint that has, you know, members who are the, who are the people in charge spread out across the world. And then anybody that uses it has perfect privacy. And there's nothing they can fucking do about it. Yeah. Um, have you, you have you tried Fediments yet? Do you have you or is this all the? This is basically what's. Go ahead. It's not live yet. I mean, from what I know, I think they're still doing testing. 
but there's, you know, there's, there's, uh, I think Fetty Mint, which is the protocol. And then Fetty is the app that they're building, which will, you know, enable this protocol. And I think they're both still in development. Um, from my understanding, you know, they'll, they'll, they'll be out soon. I mean, I think probably within a year, I'd, I'd imagine the way that Obi's talking about it on the podcast seems like it's getting pretty close to, to launch. Yeah, but you yeah, can go you, check it out now on GitHub. I mean, it's out there. You can go go look at it and everything. Yeah, if you if you see uh, Portland, if he comes into the audience, man, that you know he's got the big brain on him. But he was describing uh, Fedim before. It's not ready at all for <laughs> total use. But if you have questions about it, if you ever see him in the audience, Alex, bring him up, man. He, he he's got it down. All right, cool. Definitely curious to learn more about Fedimins and how that stuff works. It's just amazing to me the just the whole uh, it's just so much hypocrisy. You know, the world's catching on to their nonsense and their bullshit little by little, you know, it's that one way door. And these people hopefully their rule of tyranny is is close to being at an end. That's all I'm gonna say about that. I'll just say real quick, anybody that wants to, you know, learn more about Fedimint on their own, uh, Fedimint.org is a pretty good resource. It's got a bunch of information about it. Uh, it's pretty easy to, you know, read through it. Some of it gets technical, but like you can kind of just go as deep down that rabbit hole as you want. Um, but yeah, man, pretty exciting. Exciting times we live in for sure. Next on deck. Visa has partnered with F FTX to offer crypto debit cards in 40 countries. As per its latest partnership, FTX is expected to roll out debit cards across 40 countries. And unlike other debit cards, this one would allow customers to make purchases without having to move their cryptocurrencies off the exchange. Now, <laughs> I can see that as being both possibly good and really bad at the same time. So wait, no, thank you. Do I understand that they're going to hold your crypto and give you a debit card attached to it, and you're going to be able to pay for things, and they're going to what? Sell your crypto at the current market price and credit debit your account. It sounds yeah. Pretty I would assume something that like that. Yeah. Who would want that? That's I don't know. What, well, a lot people, of a lot of crypto people, people, people do. Pay their bills. Lots of crap. Lots of crypto people want to do that. Like if you if you had a, a simple payment rail where you could convert. You know, whatever directly into U.S. dollars. It's just another payment rail system. You know, it's kind of like you know, I look at Strike, and you can take, you can add U.S. dollars to Strike, and then pay a Lightning invoice, and you don't have to worry about buying the Bitcoin. You know what I mean? So it's just a, it's just kind of going in the opposite direction. It's not surprising to me that this kind of thing is happening. Um, my main concern is, I mean, it's kind of like a play to to keep. Uh, assets on the platform, so to speak, in a way, right? I mean, obviously, that's they're exactly, going to make transactions. Sorry, that's exactly what I was thinking. Who would? That's why I said who would want that? You got to leave your quote unquote crypto with somebody else. Of course, not your keys, not your coins. So, yeah, yeah. I, I, so, I mean, this. I don't. I also don't really understand this product, especially with other products like Pay with Moon out there. I don't know if you guys have used that one, but it essentially allows you to. Uh, purchase a prepaid visa card using lightning uh 
you know, so it's like non-KYC. You don't have to put in any information. You just get a prepaid Visa card. You can make it, you know, uh, out for, you know, Satoshi Nakamoto if you want to, like, have that name on it or whatever. Um, but the way that you use this or the way I've used it is if you're ever making an online purchase or whatever, you get the total amount that you owe. You go over to pay pay with Moon, put in that amount that you want for the prepaid Visa card, the exact amount. You pay with Sats on Lightning, and then that's it. So, like, you know, it's... it's, it's so like is it an instant conversion or is it preloaded? So you have to spend to, to load the card first? Correct, yeah. So it's prepaid, right? So, like, you, you pick the amount you want to pay, and then you pay it. Uh, either on chain or over lightning and i mean obviously it's a couple more steps than like the convenience of it just drawing from your account automatically but then you have to give them your keys so like fuck that you know i'd rather take the extra step or two <laughs> to like be in control of of my own bitcoin and and you know do that extra step yeah. to and, and there's that there's that convenience factor right that's the reason why <clears throat> i mean strike doing the instant conversion thing i think that's the way. That's the future. Like nobody likes to have to do the extra step, right? Now, if if you're, I, I mean, it just, just depends upon. <laughs> Bitcoiners go through lots of steps to protect their to protect their labor, right? But I'm talking about spending. This is a completely different thing, right? You protect you. Do, you, you Bitcoiners take lots of precautions and steps to protect their savings, but when it comes to spending. It's like, how fast can I get this done? How do I minimize the hoops that I have to jump through to get all this done? So I could I could see that being a thing. I mean, I wouldn't suggest putting tons of of <laughs> don't put tons of ha- assets on a platform that could uh, ultimately be coerced by government or whatever. Because you know, don't put your stack there. Yeah, no, I mean that's yeah. that's a good that's a good point, and I think you know we're probably right on the cusp of you know, just regular banks allowing you to have Bitcoin balances as well. In which case I would, I would assume they would also allow you to do the conversion, you know, on their end as well for paying your debit or credit card payments. So I mean, who knows, maybe a couple of years for that before you just got the major banks allowing you to have a Bitcoin balance, I bet. And then you get to have, you yeah. know, whatever, a few hundred bucks worth in there for spending. You know, the elephant in the room in all of these things is taxes. No one likes to talk about it. But guess what? Technically, there's a lot of tax implications when you're moving this stuff around. But, the yeah, the Pay With Moon guys is interesting. I saw him on a podcast. In fact, I reached out for him to him to, to jump on with us one day um, in the afternoon. And, uh, yeah, I'm, more, I'm really interested. Uh, I guess the use cases for, there, you know, there are many people that are off-grid that are, are 100% Bitcoin. But the reality is, obviously, they got other bills to pay. They don't, you know, we don't have all bulk. Bull Bitcoin. We're not in Canada that can do that stuff. So that's one of the use cases is when they need to pay s- stuff in cash, what they do is they convert their Bitcoin quickly um, over using Pay With Moon. I, I know there's a couple other companies, but allows them to just convert that quickly. Uh, via, I, well, I know that you can use Lightning and I think you can do on-chain as well. And then you use that card to, to pay for what you need. Yeah, I mean, this news today is is FTX. I mean, they're a shitcoin platform, right? Mostly, I guess. So they they have. Uh, I mean, you. I don't imagine shitcoiners are like obsessed with cold storage in the ways that you know we are, and the ways that we talk mm-hmm. in here. And I think that there's probably, I imagine, you know, a lot of people that 
are in that space holding crypto on these exchanges. And, you know, for those users, then you could see the value, like somebody mentioned it earlier. And not everybody's like a hardcore Bitcoin only guy or girl. So you, you know, you can imagine if you're one of those straddlers who has Bitcoin, understands Bitcoin, but you're like also have a lot of shit coins, whatever, you know, then you could see, I mean, then Gresham's law is going to come into play for them. They're going to want to spend their shit coins and save their Bitcoin. There's like a, it's all a part of this process, but I don't like, you know, obviously the idea of FTX and, you know, handing out a debit card, whatever, I'm not going to be using it. <laughs> I wonder, I mean, wh what is it going to take for everyone to wake the fuck up because you know, I have a friend, for example, who is, you know, he's, he's mostly a shit coiner. He's got Bitcoin. So like, he'll be fine. <laughs> he's got probably more Bitcoin than most of us up here. Cause he's fucking rich, but he's got a bunch of shit coins too. And he, he, he lost an entire Bitcoin, one whole Bitcoin on Celsius. Right. Um, and he still has a bunch of fucking Bitcoin on these other platforms. I'm just telling him like, dude, you have, to take self-custody of your Bitcoin, you're going to fucking lose it all. And your other shit coins too. I mean, don't take self-custody of those, but get rid of them. <laughs> you just won't listen. <laughs> so like, I don't know, man. I think people need to get like burned really, really, really bad in order to learn their lesson because even losing a whole Bitcoin on Celsius didn't fucking wake him up. No, that's definitely part of the journey. You know, you if, if you came in and, and if you didn't just jump off and go, oh, I'm Bitcoin only from the jump, then you likely did what a lot of people did, which was buy some Bitcoin and also some shit coins. And then, you know, as you go along in this journey, I mean, it's, you know, you do have some people will have to get wrecked like really hard. And that's like a lesson. You have to chalk it up to the game and be like, you know, you can't pay for that type of education, you know, uh, through one of these institution institutions, you know, so it's hopefully you don't get wrecked too bad. I've talked about this a little bit, Ant, but I, I had. I had stuff on both Celsius and Voyager. Thankfully, I had come to the conclusion of you know being Bitcoin only soon enough that I got off of those stupid platforms before they you know bit the dust. But yeah, it's that certainly was my initial journey. I had some very little Bitcoin, a bunch of these altcoins, but I'm glad I found my way. <laughs> I I don't want to change topics too quickly here, but um, I don't know if it's on your list, Alex, with Celsius losing all of, or turning in all their customer information man yeah, every transaction right? man jackasses so apparently 14,000 customers have been doxxed their information is out there on the internet now <clears throat> yeah jackasses i don't even really want to talk about them anymore let's my, move on my, wait one sec though my favorite meme under that news that came out was um <laughs> it had you know the the guy standing behind the tree like doing his hands and looking his lips or whatever. It had that meme, but then it said Richard Hart above it. <laughs> That's brutal. <laughs> yeah, people better hope Coinbase or somebody like that doesn't ever have to do the same thing in court. Look, one last comment about the whole <clears throat> losing your coins on by, by not doing self-custody. Like, I, this is something that I've learned over the last year is, is that uh, buying Bitcoin is the easy part. Keeping it through all the scams and all the fucking platforms going under and all that stuff, that actually in the long run is the hard part. So learn about self-custody. Let's move on. Bitcoin mining 
touted to reduce Kenyan villages' energy costs by 90%. So Gridless is out there right now. Um, I think it's Marshall Long uh, with with working with Gridless and some of these other guys. They're they're setting up these hydro. Uh, they have so many rivers in Africa. They're just fucking everywhere apparently, and they're underutilized in terms of hydro. And there's there's huge hydro turbines you can build that actually don't mess up the ecosystem because they turn so slowly that fish can just swim up and down them. Basically, they're just you know the, the it's the size of the blades on these um, <clears throat> hydro generators. But anyway, they're generating power. They're reducing. Um, the energy cost to the village by 90% because they're building these, for example, 100 kilowatt generators that are way bigger than is needed for the local population, but they're being offset by the, um, by the miners, right? So this is a really cool thing. It reminded me a lot of Brandon Quidham's um, article about Bitcoin being a pioneer species. Does anybody have anything they want to add or thoughts they want to contribute to this topic? Do you have a sense, like how many in installations of this already exist or are planned? Because it is, it's extraordinary. It's for all this time that we've had electricity in the West, which is more than anybody, longer than anybody's been alive on this call. It hasn't taken place in remote villages in Africa. And the, this could be the thing that turns it around. It electrifies sure. that continent. So I just, I'm curious to know if this is, if there are actual installations taking place or if this is just a visionary cool. exercise. No, I think, you know, I think they're starting to realize what could happen with this and why, if you think about it, there's never been an incentive to do it before. Like what would be the incentive to create a hundred kilowatts of power for this tiny little village um, in Africa, in the middle of nowhere? Uh, what would be the monetary incentive? There's never existed one before Bitcoin. So that's the amazing part about it. And I was listening into a space briefly last night where Marshall Long was talking about it. He's like, I'm, I'm contemplating moving to Africa. The, the opportunity here is unimaginable. Yeah, I was going to say the same thing, Alex. I was on that space too, and he <laughs> seemed really excited about, about the opportunity. Um, yeah, and just all the potential of uh, building that infrastructure out. Well, think of it. Think of how many billions of people on the planet don't really have access to consistent power and consistent clean water and stuff like that. Like, and 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 like creating situations where those people can get access to the internet because now they have power. And then there's going to be Starlink, so they'll have internet. So these people can then access the sum of all human knowledge essentially via the internet. They can learn. They can they can become participants in. It's just mind blowing the amount of innovation and hope and and human productivity that can be unlocked by all this. I think also like just you know getting Bitcoin out to every corner of the globe in you know a natural naturally distributed way through mining is super important. So like you know getting Bitcoin to all these smaller communities who otherwise would have never had the chance of, you know, getting some, right. Cause who are they going to work for to get Bitcoin? Who's going to go over there with some Bitcoin and employ, you know, a small village in, in a remote area. So the, really the only way for them to get Bitcoin is to mine it. Fair point. Cause they don't have really the rails to buy it on some exchange for a lot of them. Right. 
it's pretty mind-blowing if if someone has a link to that podcast or stream that you were listening to yesterday i'd love it if you would share it in the nest i think it was it was a space i don't know if they recorded it but it was a it was a bitcoin magazine space right alex was that was that the one yeah that's that's correct it was the bitcoin magazine spaces so if you go to the bitcoin mag handle and just look at their feed if they recorded it it'll be there good jim Hey, uh, is it fair to say that the reason African countries are not caught up to much of the more developed world is a, res a result of colonialism, uh, exploitation of natural resources by uh, more developed countries for a century or two now, and the fact that uh, they were literally not allowed to build coal-fired power plants or all that, and of course now with the ESG narrative, it's totally not allowed. And here, what I see is they're they're getting what they've deserved for a long time, thanks to the Bitcoin community developing, uh, you know, mining infrastructure, which leads to power generation on little rivers in Africa. Somebody gets an idea, goes, "I'm going to go use my energy over there." So Marshall uh, Marshall Long is over there making a difference, just because he wants to, because that's the that's the culture of this Bitcoin community is the way I see it. We're changing the world. We're not waiting for government to do it. I think the African people have been screwed over forever because of other people that came in and exploited them. And I think it's about time they got their just deserves. They should have power. All the world, the whole world should have power. The freaking it's been invented yeah. for a long time. Come on. More more power generation is better. More power distribution is better. I would I would suggest there are two nuanced sort of things about what you said that I <clears throat> I think maybe so you said colonialism I don't think it's so much the colonialism as it is the control of the money right control of the money was the tool that they used to enforce the colonialism without the control of the money they probably couldn't have done it like that was the thing that they used to extract all of the value from Africa and keep those people from having their own money so that's the first part. The second part is you said deserve. I don't I don't know if I agree with deserve. I agree with can we at least have a, a level playing field, a fair playing field where everybody has honest money? I would like that playing field because then people who actually are willing to get up off their ass and go do something for other human beings have a chance. So I don't like the necessarily the deserve thing because it kind of feeds into this little well, let's just sit on our ass and collect uh you know whatever subsidies from the government because we deserve it. I don't I don't know if I agree. With you that. phrased it you certainly phrased it better than me. I I simply mean everybody deserves a level playing field. So I phrased it poorly. You definitely corrected it, but what you said is essentially what I meant. So thank you for that. Yeah, I know that's what you meant. <laughs> I think it's important the words that we use sometimes, you know? Like there's I don't I don't like so much when people get super technical and semantic on stuff that doesn't matter because it's irrelevant to the main point. But when it does matter, I'm like I'm I'm really careful about that because words are very powerful. I don't know who's next, Ant or, or Pubby. Pubby. So yeah, here's here's your boots on the ground report. 54 countries in Africa. I've been to 27 of them, man, halfway through. Uh, let me explain something. You get to meet the people, just uh, beautiful cultures everywhere. And many of them, they don't, 
they don't blame colonialism for everything. They know what's inherent in their own governments. And the corruption is what is runs so rampant. Um, many countries, when you go in, you exchange for the local currency, but they got strict laws about that currency leaving the country, man, to the point where when you're at the airport, they will go through your bags. And especially for the locals, because it's all about control. All about control. Um, locals, if they travel travel anywhere country to country when they come back i mean basically strip search and it's illegal to to take your currency out of there i would caution listen i that is man such a huge huge um opportunity uh, like you say the natural resources are amazing to set up miners what you got to worry about though is the, the corruption if you're going to invest there is the corruption the bribes that take place um everything that goes on the, i mean the people just are just really uh, suppressed by their own governments. But man, if you ever get a chance, you know, most Americans, when, when we go overseas, um, that, and the ones that do, I mean, it's only a small part of the population. It's always to, hey, let's, let's go see London and Paris and, and we'll go to Rome. Not many get to Africa, but if you ever get a chance, man, it, it, it's an amazing place. All right, we're going to go with Ant and then Terrence, then we're going to move on to the next topic. Go ahead, Ant. Thanks, Alex. Yeah, you guys were talking about energy poverty a second ago, and then with Puppy talking about Africa, I just wanted to make this point. This point is in uh, Alex Epstein's great book, The Moral Case for Fossil Fuels, which came out several years back. So these numbers are different now, but just to give you an idea, you know, uh, 1.3 billion people uh, lack access to electricity, like just point blank, no electricity. And then 3 billion people are defined as not having adequate electricity to meet their basic human needs. And, you know, when you think about that, I mean, there's like, what is it, like 7.8 or 9 billion people on the planet? I mean, that's like a huge portion of the people, it's half the population the that literally don't have electricity or adequate electricity. And then whenever you think of, like, just to give you another example of like what that looks like, like, you know, uh, it, he says that like over the course of a year, uh, the 19.5 million residents of New York consume the same amount of electricity as nearly 800 million people in sub-Saharan Africa. Like just to give wow. you a picture of, of like just the energy disparity and the energy poverty that exists in this planet. That's a great way to say it because lack of energy leads to poverty. So it's really sad. Lack of energy it leads it could to be death. argued lack of energy. Well, yeah. Fuck yeah, dude. Because like, uh, think of if you don't have energy, you don't really, in many cases, have clean water either. I mean, these yeah, are basic, early basic things. All right, Terrence. Yeah. So um, on capital controls, a good friend of mine, he moved almost his, his family's almost entire net worth. Um, outside of the country in Africa that they were leaving to come to the U.S. using Bitcoin. So Bitcoin can be extremely useful for people in Africa, whether rich or poor, to avoid censorship, confiscation from governments that are extremely corrupt. And Africa has great demographics. They have a lot of young people, but their governments are atrocious. The other thing I would worry about is, as Bitcoiners, is Binance. Binance Africa is pretty aggressive and they have people on the ground and they um, are all over the place trying to get people to adopt um, Binance coin, their uh, US dollar stable coin and other stable coins that they themselves have issued. So um, I'm done speaking. 
All right. Let's move on. Next Alex, topic. Alex, Sir. What's, what's the line again? What's the line again that you say after things like? Uh, don't shake one. Yeah. <laughs> Just so many examples of it, man. Just so many. Isn't Charles Hoskinson going to make Cardano uh, fix all of Africa? That's what I heard. <laughs> That's Cardano. Promises, promises. For all the listeners, there's lots of laughing emojis happening right now across the board, just so that you guys can picture that in your No. Oh, my gosh. All right, you, you guys... Um... What's the name of that uh, hedge fund manager? He's very well respected. He basically was like, yeah, once I found out in 2017 that like something like 75% of Bitcoin holders never sold, that's when I bought. What was that guy's name? Is it Drunkenmiller? Or- yeah, Drunkenmiller. Right. So I thought of him today when this new report just came out. Bitcoin long-term holder supply has reached an all-time high of 13.7 million, according to ARK. They've published a monthly Bitcoin report, as they do, um, and they've noted that Bitcoin is in an oversold condition. Asset might have reached a strong bottom, pointing to Bitcoin's short-term holder cost basis. What else? Uh, It's below the long-term holder equivalent for the first time since late 2018, This is what I found more interesting. Bitcoin's long-term holder supply reached an all-time high of 13.7 million Bitcoin, which accounts for 71.5% of the outstanding supply. And the firm defines a long-term holder as those who have held the Bitcoin in their wallets for over 155 days. Fascinating. And the trouble is, how many of those wallets are on exchanges? True, true, true. I mean, we'll never stop talking about that, right? But at the same time, I think this is very important for people to understand the dynamic of Bitcoin. Like, you know, there was that headline the other day where it came from the Business Times, and it was, it was, the headline was Bitcoin is steady as currencies around the world tumble. That was a fascinating thing. Right. So, yeah, sure. Bitcoin's been trading in this range of like 19 to 20 ish, a little higher than 20, right? For a while now, it's just kind of bouncing around in here. But what's happening to everything else around the world? It's fascinating. Who's buying this? <laughs> I think that's what a lot of people in legacy finance really don't understand. Stack chain. Go away. Here comes Peter. <clears throat> um, I was going to say, I, I don't know if um, accounts or wallets on exchanges are, are counted here because a lot of the times, you know, they're not in control of their own keys. So they don't actually have an on-chain footprint of their own Bitcoin. You know, it's usually in some sort of larger account that the exchange is going to manage. And I'm assuming mm-hmm. that they, that they you know, typically move around their Bitcoin quite a bit from their larger accounts. So I don't know if this is even accounting for long-term exchange holders. Um, I think it's, they might just be on-chain holders. 
by practice, it would be impossible, right? Because if you're if you're running an exchange and you have a wallet, you're doing transactions in that thing many, 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 many times a day. So that's not going to be included in that number. There might be a, I mean, so looking at the top, you know, wallet balances, I think there are a few that are attributed to exchanges where it's it's almost only balances going in. Um, very, very you know, well. Actually, I have to look again. Maybe, it, maybe some do come out every once in a while. But, but these exchange wallets seem to be going kind of generally up only, you know, as they lease their customers for fees <laughs> consistently. And the other thing is, a lot of these. I'm glad I'm off of them now. You know, but a lot of these exchanges send out new information where you have to provide more pictures of yourself or various other things. And they basically halt withdrawals until you give them what they want. So, I mean, they have you hostage. Uh, Especially for large amounts. If you're in the audience and you're thinking about moving large amounts in terms of us dollar value converted into whatever currency you want into and out of these exchanges, be prepared for a ridiculously high level of KYC. I've had people come to me, um, now, probably a half a dozen different times, moving really large amounts. I'm talking seven figures. And when they go to move it, the exchange basically sends them requests for all kinds of additional KYC information. You know, show me the records of where you got this money. Like they want to know. And uh, first of all, I will tell you, Swan doesn't do that kind of shit. <clears throat> Prime Trust doesn't do that kind of shit. Um, Will we ever be required to by law? I don't know, but we don't do it now. And I think it's it's really pretty offensive. Um, and obviously other people think that too because they're coming to me and going, hey, can I open an account with Swan? Because these guys, these jerk-offs want to know everything about me to, to, to have control of my own assets. It's, it's some bullshit. Yeah, what's really fun is whenever your bank freaks out and like the transaction doesn't go through when you're trying to fund your KYC account and and then you have to call those guys and then you get a little a little terse word about you know cryptocurrency and bitcoin and from from like your bank with your money i don't oh, know if yeah. anybody's ever gone through that but, yet but yeah. it's it's funny when it happens we <laughs> i hear that from clients too especially ones trying to move large amounts the bank is like we don't think this is a good idea so we're not going to process your wire <laughs> that's a thing for real they're like trying to teach you what you should be doing with your money because you're too fucking stupid to know yourself, you dummy. I mean, you're smart enough to earn a couple of million dollars, but you're too stupid to know what to do with it. So you're not allowed to move it unless you have our permission. Unbelievable. The key, the key Alex and everyone else listening is to just never have any money in your bank account. So whenever you get paid, you just move all of it into Bitcoin immediately. That's the key because then they can never (laughs) control any of your money. Yeah, they love that. <laughs> They'll get used to it. I mean, mine, mine did. You know, like they're they're pretty used to my account being at or near zero uh, always. So, like at this point, I don't know. I guess they just they just don't care. Um, I also don't have millions in my account, though, unfortunately. Yeah, if you're not getting insufficient funds notices, are you really a Bitcoiner? <laughs> you guys are so ridiculous sometimes. Or, or get a call from your bankers like, do you really know what you're doing? 
I, I, I got to add to what Wicked said. As a business owner and somebody who has to have working capital always available uh, to fund my, my work between getting paid by customers, it's a challenge trying to keep the right amount of mo fiat money in a bank account because I sometimes deal with fairly large sums of money and I don't like when it's sitting there. Uh, you know, when I when I spend it, fine, it's gone from there. But I have taken large chunks and converted it into Bitcoin and let it sit there instead. I feel so much it feels so much safer for me. But it's a challenge with the uh, exchange rate price going up and down. I have had to liquidate some Bitcoin to get it back for working capital at rates I wasn't happy with. But you know, I'm trying to get myself on the Bitcoin standard, so it's not easy, but it's worth it as far as I can tell. Very on. absolute warrior. All right, let's hit some announcements, and then we'll keep rolling. You are listening to Cafe Bitcoin, the place for your morning news, a preferred hangout for some of the smartest minds in the industry to chill, talk about what's going on. It's a great place to learn about Bitcoin. We're gonna we're gonna continue to try to do once a week uh, beginner Q and A type stuff, and we will obviously cover the full spectrum of things that intersect with the topic of Bitcoin. And boy, are there a lot of those. So people might come in here and think sometimes, what does that have to do with Bitcoin? It all ties back into Bitcoin. If we're talking about it, it probably 95% chance ties back into Bitcoin unless we're just talking about nonsense. Um, this is a live show. We do it every day, Monday through Friday. We start at 7 a.m. Pacific. We roll for two hours. Um, if you can't catch it live on uh, Twitter, Twitter spaces, that is, you can catch the podcast. It's up on uh, Fountain, Spotify, Apple, everywhere you get your podcasts. Pacific Bitcoin is coming up in November 10th and 11th. Super excited for this thing. Uh, let's hear the latest from Sailor. I don't travel to these things very often, but everybody that I wanted to meet in the Bitcoin world seemed to be there. And a lot of, a lot of people reached out to me and said I should come. And then I looked. Looked at how many Bitcoiners were getting excited about it, and I thought, I didn't really want to miss this. The event of the year. I'm looking forward to seeing all of you. It should be a good time. Well, shout out to Tyler, who uh, works with Swan. He actually works in... Um, Swan customer support team, very smart dude, also extremely talented uh, sound engineer and DJ. He doesn't like, <clears throat> uh, Tyler, I hope I'm not, I'm not doxing you, bro. I'm trying to keep you, keep you as uh, on the down low as possible, but amazing dude. So he, he made that and uh, we'll continue to do this. Um, stuff that's going to be at Pacific Bitcoin. The Wednesday prior to the Thursday start of the actual conference is going to be a thank God for Bitcoin event. Um, and then that evening, there's going to be a pleb party with Anders. You can go to bitcoinerevents.com and check out the side events. It'll give you a full listing of all the different cool things that are going on. Thursday evening is going to be a VIP party. Friday, we're going to convert the Barker Hangar into a nightclub. Saturday is going to be a beach party for the plebs and a VIP wrap party. VIP gets you into everything. Uh, you can go to pacificbitcoin.com for tickets. Use promo code CAFE for a discount. If you're considering doing a uh, VIP ticket, you can shoot me a DM. If you're already a Swan client and have a rep, talk to them for a special discount code. 
either the discount code from me or one of your Swan private reps will be a even better discount than the ones we're giving out publicly. So we do want you guys to, uh, to participate in those things if you're interested. Uh, Peter and then puppy. Yeah. I, I just wanted to say that, I mean, I know that, I know that Michael Saylor is a, is a huge figure in, in Bitcoin and a great draw. Um, but I'm pretty sure that the, that the four people from stack chain that are going to be at Pacific Bitcoin are really going to be the stars of the show. I'm pretty sure that the, that the stackathon that's going to go on is going to be, um, the most attended of all of the events. And, um, I'm pretty damn sure that uh, Stack Chain is the meme of this bear market. <laughs> All right, explain the stackathon that's going to occur at uh, at Pacific Bitcoin, please. Well, there's going to be a it's it's actually a hackathon. Um, uh, what we're doing or what's going on is Tor, is Corey is uh, Corey from Swan is uh, promoting Stack Chain. He's he sees this as the gamification of uh, stacking sats, which I, I agree with. It is, it is just incredibly fun to do. Matter of fact, this morning, the reason I've been a little quiet is because we've been busy on the stack chain, um, uh, resolving some controversy that's been going on, which is like normal. It's chaos there. Um, but anyways, uh, the, the hackathon is going to create some tools for stack chain to be able to automate some of the processes that go on. So for instance, uh, we do a thing called stack joins and stack joins are for people who can't afford, um, you know, a, a block. I mean, a block now, the block height now is, is currently the, is currently 2074. So that means the next person has to purchase a solo mine, a block for 2,075 cuck bucks. And that's a lot of money for most plebs. So, um, we do this thing called stack joins where you can, you can throw in as little as a dollar. And it goes into what we call the mempool because we try to mirror the Bitcoin protocol as much as we can. Um, and eventually the, that, uh, that dollar purchase or five or 20 or hundred dollar purchase, whatever it is, uh, gets combined into a, um, into a single block uh, with a bunch of other small transactions like that from the mempool. And then that whole, uh, that whole thing purchases um, a, or solo mines a, uh, a block. So that whole thing could add up to 2,074 excuse me, 2075, and then would solo mine that block. So having that process automated instead of having um, one of the individuals that volunteers their time for stack chain um, uh, to put that together um, will is something that uh, is going to be uh, worked on at the uh, hackathon or the, oh, we're cool. calling the stackathon. So those are the right kinds on. of things that are being going on. Nice, nice. Throw a link up in the nest if you haven't already for people who are interested in checking out stack chain. Or throw stack chain uh, signal here a follow, and uh, you can learn more about it. You can DM him. Bobby, go ahead. Well, first off, I'm quite surprised there's a disagreement that he had to resolve. Um, we are usually one big happy family here in Bitcoin Twitter, um, especially during bear markets. Uh, no, I'll say this. Uh, yeah, so Wednesday, Anders will be running um, sort of a toxic happy hour sort of pleb party. Unfortunately, I'll be overseas. I can't make it this time. But his meetup, if you guys sign up at the meetup, I think he's well over 100 people now signed up. And he's still trying to nail down a place to, that can accommodate. So what? I'm, this is just an open call. Anyone Wait, that what? Does, How many people have signed up? 
I think there's over a hundred right now. Okay. Yeah. So I'll verify with him, but um, yeah, I, I think we're still trying to figure out the best um, place to, to do this. Anyone in the Santa Monica LA area that knows the spots like that, but it, it looks like it's growing. Just want to let you guys know, man. It, yeah, it's uh, man. It's, it's the real deal. That's awesome. I'm actually planning on going to that one. Unless I get tapped by the Swan team to do something that I have to do in my capacity working with Swan, I plan on being at the party with Anders and, and all you guys. So let's go. If you're a cafe Bitcoiner and you, you want to hang out, I'm going to go do that thing. So let's go. All right. Uh, what else we got here? Another headline that we can hit if you guys are interested. Bank confirms pension funds almost collapsed. I made a market meltdown. I think this is referring to the Bank of England doing that emergency bailout thing. Explaining its emergency intervention to calm turmoil in financial markets last week, the central bank said pension funds with more than $1 trillion invested in them came under severe strain with a large number in danger of actually going insolvent. Banks said that a dramatic rise in interest rates and long-dated UK government bonds in the days immediately after the Chancellor's mini-budget had triggered a self-reinforcing debt spiral. Mm, where have we heard that word before? This, of course, is all stuff we're going to dig into a little deeper here in the next hour with uh, Swan Private Macro Friday. Uh, we've got Greg Foss out in the audience, Dr. Jeff out in the audience. Um, you guys are welcome to join us for that if Worth is around. I don't know if you're around here. Um, as well as the Swan Private team here coming up shortly. Hey, and say Thanks for always having me up here. I'm looking forward to listening to these guys. They're so smart. Uh, I'm going to jump in my truck and start driving, so I'm going to jump down and let uh, leave some space for somebody else. Thanks for doing this. This is awesome every day. Thanks for hanging, Jim. Wicked, what do you got? I think, uh, Terrence, you want to say something? You got your, your mic off mute. Oh, that was uh, an accident. Sorry. Okay. Um, I was just going to say, I mean, if no one if no one has any comments on that last bit of no news, I mean, I think, I think we kind of heard about this a couple times or at least suspected it. So I don't know if it's anything new. Um, but I threw up in the nest some news that I learned about this morning, which was that uh, Lebanese banks are considering closing for good until further notice. I don't know if we want to touch on that, but that's pretty bad, right? Like, wow, that's the first time I've heard that. That's pretty crazy. Yeah, I saw that too. And that's my, this is what it's come to. Banks, just, you know what? Screw you guys. We're closing. We're going home. I kept seeing all of these articles where where uh, customers were robbing <laughs> quote robbing the banks to get their own money back. They would go either armed or unarmed into the banks and rob the banks to get their own money back. Yeah, Alex, How that's crazy. You don't go in and say, "Give me all your money." You say, "Give me all my money." Give me all my money, you <laughs> motherfuckers! <laughs> and just my money, nothing more. It's more of a forced withdrawal, I would say. <laughs> Insufficient so, funds notice. 
It's really crazy. Can you imagine though being in one of these countries where the where the currency system is basically melting down? Is unfortunately that it's probably going to happen more and more. Like you're going to see it all around the world, right? Before eventually the US dollar Peter Alex, it's Foss. Um, One second, Greg. Oh, sorry. Peter had his hand up. Go ahead, Peter. Oh, I just, I just wanted to say to, to anybody in the, in the audience that hasn't listened to any of the episodes this week, they have all been incredible fire, including yesterday's where the, um, uh, the comment about the, uh, the debt spiral came from, which we actually talk about a lot, but anyways, Anybody in the audience that hasn't listened to any of the episodes this week, I would highly suggest that you listen to the recordings because they are all amazing. I have been blown away this week. Yeah, it's been good stuff. Thank you to all the speakers that have come in this week. Man, mind-blowing goodness. Go ahead, Greg. Good morning. Hi, guys. Uh, yeah, uh, I concur. It was a great uh, week of uh, stuff um, on Swan. I just wanted to mention about those Lebanese banks, uh, something that gets glossed over is that uh, those banks hold U.S. dollars. Okay, So it's people going there to withdraw their U.S. dollars out of the bank account because the Lebanese, I'm not even sure what it's called, lira or something, is uh, you know uh, imploding so badly that people hold their money in U.S. dollars in Lebanese banks and then try to withdraw their U.S. dollars, and it turns out the U.S. the Lebanese bank doesn't have it. So that's the problem. Just wanted to add that. Yeah. Rough seas ahead. Although, interestingly enough, more and more I'm seeing mainstream finance switching their stance on Bitcoin et al. Uh, this is a Bloomberg analyst that said BTC to outperform most major assets in the second half of 2022. 2022, excuse me. I mean, we're almost done with 2022. We shall see if that uh, comes true. But all of the... <clears throat> Legacy finance institutions that have been sort of positioning themselves this year is a very interesting phenomenon to me. Well, on that note, Alex, I had a uh, LinkedIn connection with uh, one of the top five pension plans in Canada reach out to me this morning. I'm not doxing anybody because uh, there's one of five, but let's be honest, if, if they're looking at it, all five of them are looking at it. Okay. So, um, understand that this is a process where the investment policy committee needs to understand, uh, you know, needs to evaluate the true risks and, uh, whatnot. But, um, the, there's no way that if BlackRock's involved and Fidelity's involved, that, uh, there's not, you know, people doing their homework and understanding the, uh, the fact that they need to diversify out of bonds, uh, you know, the traditional assets of bonds and stocks, which we talked about in depth yesterday. Bonds, I cannot, I know most people don't understand it, but when we talk about what's happening with the UK pension plans, these are, as I mentioned yesterday, are risk-free, thought to be risk-free assets that are down 50%, 50% in the last 
nine months. Okay. You don't lose 50% of your money on something that's deemed risk-free. And then if you're using leverage, like the UK pension plans we're using under a strategy called LDI, I mentioned it yesterday, liability-driven investing, you amplify your losses. Like it was a disaster. The Bank of England had to step in. Watch for more of that because it's only math. Thanks. Yep. Peter, go ahead. Uh, I just want to say that, uh, Greg, congratulations. Uh, I want to be a fly in the wall in, the, in that boardroom when you give your presentation, because at the end of it, I know what's going to happen. You're going to look around the room you're gonna, you're, and you're going to say, and if you're not buying Bitcoin yet, you're fucking stupid. And the CEO is going to look <laughs> over at the COO and say, did he just call me stupid? <laughs> I'll tell you why I got contacted. Thank you very much. Is because I called them out on uh, on a, on uh, a tweet. Uh, okay, so they didn't reach back on Twitter. They re reached back on LinkedIn because it's a much more professional site. But uh, let's just say that uh, I'll never give a presentation to a boardroom again because I hate that type of business. I I was I was very uh, insulated at my hedge fund from giving presentations to uh, the to the potential investors because I continually did call them, you know, retarded or retreads. Sorry, don't use the word uh, with that I just said. But uh, here's the truth. Like, if you're emotional about stuff like I am passionate about it, you got to stare down the belly of the beast and just call it like it is. Because sometimes it takes these guys, you got to shake their, the tree to get, to get them to understand, right? They're investing on behalf of our children. And that's what bugs me the most. We need to get the pension plans on board because there's too many people out there that will never do the work themselves. And therefore they need an agent i.e. a pension plan, to do and make that decision for them for the benefit of their families. So I'm looking forward to hearing uh, Mr. Gomez talk about his experience, certainly. And uh, pleasure to be here. Thanks. Man, that's some powerful stuff. I know you've said it here. You've probably said it in other places, um, the whole thing, calling them out very directly. And uh, I'm glad they reached out to you, man. That's a great, that's a great thing. I can only... <laughs> Greg Foss in a boardroom presentation, just smashing heads. <laughs> it's awesome. But anyway, I'm I'm sure you will uh, you will do a great job conveying what Bitcoin is to these folks and why they need to figure it out. It's it's an interesting thing to see. All right, so we're rolling into the second hour here. Uh, we are going to do as usual on Fridays. We do Swan Private Macro Friday. We do have the Swan team. Um, who specializes in these kind of things, as well as some of the uh, smarter minds in the space um, who are not part of SWAN, but have great sort of macro perspectives uh, to talk about various different things. We've got John Har up here. Good morning, John. Welcome. Good morning, Alex. Good morning, everyone. Uh, John works with SWAN Private, uh, ex Goldman managed double digit billion dollar portfolios for Goldman. He's very he's a very very humble dude, but uh I was a for, I was one of the fortunate guys to to talk to him when he was considering coming over to Swan. Just fascinating conversations I had with this guy. I was really blown away by the idea that somebody in his role wanted to come work in Bitcoin, but he sees the future. You know, he's not a dumb guy. He's a very smart individual and a huge asset to the team. So glad to have him. We also have up here um, Sam Callahan. 
who is part of the Swan Research team. And again, another extremely smart guy uh, out there on the podcast circuit making huge waves announced as a speaker at Pacific Bitcoin. So good morning, Sam. Good morning. Happy Friday, everybody. You sound really good. <laughs> hey, what? Hey, just real, real quick. What boardroom was Foss talking at? I caught the end of that. I just was curious. I was oh. uh, sorry, Alex. I'll just give the so. There's um, just today. I got uh, contacted on LinkedIn by a uh, uh, senior gentleman at one of Canada's largest f- uh, top oh. five pension plans. That incidentally, uh, the funny thing is though he. He reached out to me on LinkedIn, but had seen some tweets where I was calling out the uh, silliness of the Canadian investing landscape, basically. So he says, not all of us, not all of us are uh, doorknobs. He didn't actually use the word doorknobs. But at the end of the day, um, he, uh, you know, said, I look forward to talking to you more about this. I need more allies so that we can get this uh, uh, ball rolling here now. Be careful. I'm not trying to pretend that I'm having anything to do with it. I'm just trying to read the tea leaves. If he's doing it, it's because the competition, his competition is doing it. Now, what you people in the U.S. or my friends in the U.S. don't understand is the concentration in money management in Canada is much more severe than it is in the United States. So, for example, the rule of 10 where you basically take everything that exists in Canada and multiply it by 10 and you get the United States or vice versa. You divide the USA by 10, you get Canada. So GDP works like that. Population works like that. But money management doesn't work like that. Our relative size of our pension plans in Canada are far bigger than one-tenth the size of CalPERS. So CalPERS being the largest U.S. pension plan, our pension plans on a relative basis are almost the size of CalPERS. Okay, so you get the uh, you get a, a, an understanding of there's basically only 40, 40 accounts in Canada that matter. And in the United States, there's literally 4,000 accounts. So the wow. concentration in Canada is much more severe. They all look at each other. They don't do anything big unless another account is doing it. And it you know it it's just really a, a group of sheep all running into the same wall or bouncing off the same guardrails all the time. Am, am cool. I the only one that am I the only one that pictures Fossey going into a boardroom like Chris Farley jumping into the living room in that Siren Lives kit? Listen up, people. <laughs> Listen up. Have you seen the tenure? Have you seen the tenure? Because I live in a van down by the river. Uh, the shenanigans. Um, all right, there's a there's some uh, different kind of headlines that I would love to talk about for for Swan Private Macro today. But uh, John Har, why don't you take us where you want to go, and then maybe we can mix that in as we as we go here. Yeah, that sounds good, Alex. I was thinking maybe I could just give my own personal macro summary at this point in time, um, which hits on some of the recent things going on, and then we can get. Uh, responses and views from other people and and see where that goes. So I think uh, to state the obvious, everyone is focused on uh, what the Fed is going to do. Is it going to be a pause, a pivot, cut rates, QE, et cetera? Um, Or are they going to, you know, keep hiking for a long time and et cetera? 
I think it's becoming clear to most people that the Fed isn't going to pause or pivot um, until or unless they really, really have to um, until their hand is, is forced, so to speak. Um, I thought it was interesting that there was uh, Fed Governor Waller spoke yesterday somewhere and his quote was, I don't expect tomorrow's jobs report to alter my view that we should be 100% focused on reducing inflation. Uh, and there's been a lot of comments like that from Fed officials over the past few weeks and months. And I think the jobs report today kind of is close enough to what they were expecting. So I think someone like Governor Waller says, yeah, that's confirmation that we are still 100% focused on bringing down CPI inflation. Um, so I think if or when for us to see some sort of pivot, I, I, I would add a couple thoughts. I think it's more likely to be targeted and smaller scale, kind of like what we saw with the BOE just last week buying the 30-year gilts. Um, obviously, that is kind of a shit show of a, a situation. I, I feel like we've talked about it last week. Um, I know Foss was just talking about it a little bit more now. And yes, it was new money creation by a central bank, but the scale of it was nothing compared to the QE we saw post the GFC or, or during COVID. So I, I think the odds of us getting an 0809 or 2020 style full-blown crisis level QE program plus Fed announcements that they're doing it, I think that's all very, very low. It, it could happen. I could be proven wrong here, but I think that is a, a low probability for, for the near term. Um, so with that said, I think it's hard to see a big catalyst for any financial assets to go materially higher in the near term. I would say if you, know, if, if you asked me to define near term, I'd probably say six, nine, 12 months, something like that. But I do think that it's worth some comments about Bitcoin's risk reward versus stocks risk reward. And I think Bitcoin is in a much better position than stocks in terms of valuation or maybe another way to say that is in terms of how much pain has been felt so far and how much more there might be to go. Um, so when, when I say that, I mean, I think stocks have more downside than Bitcoin. Uh, Bitcoin saw way more selling pressure, liquidations, stress earlier this year. And uh, I think to state the obvious to everyone in this space, you've got a way more convicted holder base in Bitcoin You've got thousands of people and entities around the world building products and platforms that make Bitcoin easier to use, easier to understand. Uh, there's always the potential for a big Bitcoin adoption event to be announced really at any time. Yes, it is harder in a broader bear market. It is harder for when people and entities see their stocks are lower, their real estate's lower, their bonds are lower. It's, it is harder for people to make a huge allocation to Bitcoin. Um, but you still, with that said, you never know when these big adoption events in Bitcoin are going to be announced. And stocks, I just don't think have any of those dynamics at play. Um, so we'll see what happens in the coming months. But I'd be willing to bet that if U.S. stocks, for example, fall another 20 to 30 percent from here, I think you might see Bitcoin outperform that uh, for those reasons I mentioned. So just kind of summarizing here, I, I do I don't think we should ignore uh, macro data and Fed speeches, etc. I think it's always you can always get something from it. It's interesting to talk about, um, but I do think it's going to take a really big event in order for us to see a Fed pause or a pivot to happen. 
So I, I think we should just be careful not to overanalyze any particular data release. Um, what we should be on the lookout for is economic or market data, which uh, either signals like a total reversal of the path of economic growth we think we're on or the path of inflation we think we're on um, or something that we think will force the Fed's hand um, in changing their direction. So I know I said a ton there, but um, would love to hear what others think about that. I, I just have a quick question to ask you, John. Um, are, are you implying that uh, that Bitcoin is a is, is has become a, a leading indicator? That's an interesting question. Yeah, I think I think it could be to some extent. You know, I've heard some people put out some interesting thoughts on this that Bitcoin will uh, sniff out potential changes in ec economic data, CPI inflation, uh, market stress, etc. I think that could happen, um, but it's. Uh, it, I think you're always going to have conflicting information. There could be things going on within the world of Bitcoin and and broader crypto. Even you know, as people get liquidated, that could impact the Bitcoin price. I, I think it's hard. You know, it does get traded as a macro asset, so I think it's true to some extent. But I think in any particular analysis, if someone's asking the question. Is, is Bitcoin, you know, acting as a leading indicator right now at this point in time? I think it could be true or false based on whatever's going on at that particular point in time. So one way in which Bitcoin is a leading indicator is due to the fact that Bitcoin tr trades 24-7. So if you're on... Um, you know, Binance or Coinbase or whatever, you could um, buy or sell your Bitcoin over the weekend or at 3 a.m. in the morning in reaction to news out of Asia or whatever. You can't do that with stocks. So that would be an argument for why um, all else being equal, Bitcoin is a leading indicator can be. Yeah, that's a good point. Imagine if, uh, you know, it's the complete opposite of private investments. You know, I'm not sure if people here are too familiar with pri whether it's private debt or private equity. They have a huge benefit in being able to, you know, mark quarterly in illiquid markets or, you know, maybe, maybe even monthly at most, but probably some of them are uh, quarterly. You know, they kind of get to hide behind that illiquidity, whereas Bitcoin, like, like Terrence said, on the weekend, um, you get you might get a very low print on the weekend, and then it rallies back by Monday. And you know, in in another market, it never would have even happened. Um, but in Bitcoin, it kind of tells you what's going on every every hour of the week. Um, Foss, what do you got? Hey, John, nice to meet you, man. Um, I was just glancing at your LinkedIn profile, so please accept my uh, my connection invite there. Uh, I like your history. You know what? I mean, we've crossed paths, obviously, in our in our careers in trading different asset classes. And I like what you say. The problem, I think, though, that is the Fed is too U.S. centric right now and they don't understand. Or if they do, they they, they say things like, well, we don't care about what's happening in other countries. That was a governor that, you know, there was how many Fed speakers uh, last week? It was one of the attributed to one of the speakers. And I think what what there's two things that I like about your argument, but to be clear, we have to define what is a pivot as well as what happens if something breaks outside the U.S. financial system. So 
I'd see those as two, uh, uh, I'd call them tail events. Um, because, uh, what happens, for example, if, uh, CS first, oh, not CS first Boston credit Suisse and Deutsche Bank start uh, getting knocked up against the wall. And, uh, you know, there has to be some sort of event where Germany has to help out Deutsche Bank that all of a sudden removes the sugar daddy for Euro, the Eurozone, right? Uh, or weakens the sugar daddy for the Eurozone. So to define a pivot, I always am trying to be careful to say, does the Fed get to its stated goal of four and a half to five percent in uh, Fed funds overnight? And I guess I'm still uh, of the belief that they're only at three and a quarter right now and they've already caused so much damage that it would be hard for me to believe that something isn't going to break uh on their path to try to get to four and a half or 5% by Christmas time, let's say. So it's what makes a market. Um, but I actually think for the listeners, you said the next, uh, 12 months, one year to 12 months, uh, excuse me, <laughs> uh, half a year to 12 months, um, uh, that you think, uh, the markets will be wrestling. I actually am going to move that down just to try and say, I think it's within the next 90 days, uh, that you will see a, determined path of uh, a potential pivot or the other one is global severe global recession and i'm not trying to take hog your space here i just think in any conversation we have with people let's start by defining what a pivot would be to begin with so that everyone's on the same page and then also understand the tail risks because the ecb just came out and said we see financial distress. There has never, Dylan LeClaire put out a really good thing where the ECB monitors uh, credit conditions in the Eurozone and they've never been worse since the great financial crisis. In other words, the three periods that the Eurozone has been under stress, the great financial crisis and then the Mario Draghi event with we will do whatever it takes as the periphery uh, countries were under stress in 2012. We're back at that level right now. And the Fed is only at three and a quarter. I need people to understand how much it is, again, to go from three and a quarter to four and a half or five percent. It's not as easy as it seems. And there's a lot of bugs on the windshield right now. Okay, there's been big bugs and actually small birds hitting the windshield right now. So uh, be careful out there, people. John, it's a pleasure to meet you. I'm going to step down, uh, not hog your space, but always learning on Swan Bitcoin. So thanks so much, you guys. Have a great day. Thanks for hanging out, Greg. Wicked, what do you got? So I'm wondering, and you know, this will probably get Greg to stay here. Um, I'm wondering if so, you know, if, if the Fed raises more and things break even more and then we get, um, you know, more demand for the dollar, right, that would translate to a stronger dollar, which would translate to lower inflation, bringing CPI down. And so, like, could the Fed break things so bad that the dollar strengthens enough for them to hit their target CPI and then say, all right, we did it, we made it. And then everyone else is everyone else is fucked around the world. But like. They did it, right? And then that's when they pivot.
Yeah, I mean, I'll, I'll, I'll chime in there. I think, I think that's a form of the, this pattern that people keep talking about, which is the Fed will do something until something breaks, and then they'll pivot. I think what you just described is one potential way that that happens. Um, so, yeah, I think that is possible. Um, but I think that's why it is so important because there is this consensus view of the Fed is going to keep hiking and, and QT, whatever you want to call it, until something breaks and then they'll pause and pivot. But it's, you know, I think being clear on the definitions is super important. I think we're all clear on the hiking and the QT because that's more quantitative. You know, we, we know it's going to be something in the range of, you know, 50 to 75 base point rate rises. That's quantifiable. The balance sheet reduction is quantifiable. But then you define the rest of that consensus view and the until something breaks part you have to define and then the then they will pause or pivot part you have to define. And that's where I think you can get into very long conversations and debates about what those things will look like. Um, but one thought that I'll just um, say and then I'll see what others think, but I, I, if, if you look at like the pause and pivot of 2020, let's just take that one for example. We all now know in hindsight when the Fed had an emergency meeting and announced that they were uh, engaging in QE again during the height of COVID, the best thing you could have possibly done there was go max long and just sit on it for like the next you know, nine to 12 months. That, that was the best move possible. And I think a lot of people are waiting for that kind of thing to happen again because you know people are just usually heavily influenced by how things played out most recently in, in markets. But then when you look at this BOE, that could be considered a pause or a pivot. But I guess my point is just that it's entirely different than the pivot we saw in March of 2020. Like, for example, I don't have it in front of me, but I would bet that the UK stock indices – uh, like the, the FTSE might have rallied a little bit since the stress that um, the BOE responded to, but it's not like a full blown like okay, everyone go long UK stocks again. So I guess uh, you know there's a lot of debate to be had here. Like I said, defining these terms, but I guess my takeaway point that I would want to drive home is I think whatever pause or pivot we likely see, at least to start is going to be this more targeted, smaller scale pivot, not similar to the type that we saw in March of 2020, where it was like, okay, this is the pivot of all pivots, QE for a long time. I don't think that happens until several really bad things happen in the markets and the economy that forces the Fed's hand. So I'll pause there, but I know I said a lot. I, I know we're kind of um, a little fixated on definitions and what have you, but um, I, my my real concern is watching them flounder, attempting to roll off the balance sheet, not not just allowing things to mature, but th they've missed their target almost every single month except for one, and that was last month, and they they don't seem to be uh, putting themselves in a position to um, reach their ninety five billion mark this next month. Uh, as well so i mean we're going to expect them to continue to tightening or uh, raising rates but i i don't necessarily see them succeeding in in this roll-off especially with bonds being well i think greg went through it yesterday or the other day on on swan um 
where nobody's really buying these bonds because they know they're going to be like worth what another 25 cents less on the dollar the next day. And nobody can keep their job in that kind of performance. So. Yeah. yeah. I'm not sure I agree with that because um, the job numbers that came out show three and a half percent unemployment. We know the numbers are messed up, but they're messed up in the same way month over month. So relatively speaking, unemployment has not gotten worse. In fact, it's gotten a little better despite the rate hikes. That's number one. Number two, I understand your point about, you know, no one's buying treasuries, but uh, but um, I pointed out yesterday briefly that James Lavish, whom we all know and love, along with Boss, he wrote, tweeted out that commercial banks alone have over $2 trillion in excess cash. The reason we know that is that they parked that with the Fed for this uh, reverse repo over. You're breaking you're, up a little bit, Terrence. I think you're bringing up reverse repo. I think you're bringing up reverse repo. And, yeah, they are parking it there. They are. And, yeah. and I, I understand that. I'm just saying, in in general, like, I think, uh, was it mortgage-backed securities? They've only reached $11 billion, which is roughly 31% of the target. So it's not just – I'm not just, like, targeting. It's the general reduction of the balance sheet so that they can get – like reload their ammunition for the next time some shit happens, which is eventual. And I think we can all agree that that's going to happen whether they're ready or not. And I think situations that we see in England where <laughs> somebody new comes in and says, we're going to do this thing and they don't, they don't double check with anyone. And then they just fuck up the entire globe in, in the matter of an afternoon because of their unilateral, like, I, I'm going to take control of this situation and I'm going to do what's right. But we all know best intentions are well-serviced of the yeah, devil. So, yeah, again, I don't quite agree with that because John just went through how it's possible that we have this sort of soft landing scenario where they do hike rates. It is possible that they hike rates enough that unemployment goes down, they reach their unemployment levels, even though the rest of the world is screwed, and at that point, the Fed pauses and maybe pivots, and it's not going to be, like John said, realistically, it's not going to be anywhere uh, anywhere near or not close to, not really close to the 2008, 2009, and 2020 uh, levels of printing. They will print, but it might not be that much, and, it, and the U.S. economy might not be in such horrible shape. As Foss would say, U.S. is the least dirty shirt among all the dirty shirts among fiat currencies. And it's, we've seen it just demolish all the other currencies and the other economies might screw up. Doesn't necessarily mean Bitcoin's going to, you know, 100,000 by next month or whenever. Eventually it will, right? Because it just makes too much sense. But in the short term, notwithstanding all the wreckage and all the money printing and whatever, um, Bank of England bailing out. Um, on the 30-year bailing out pensions, price hasn't moved that much in Bitcoin in an upward direction. So I'm not sure I totally agree that that's outside the possibility. So I think we suffer from a lot of groupthink on Bitcoin Twitter, and the Bitcoin Twitter macro people might be right long-term. I, I think they are right long-term. I think we are right long-term. The issue is I don't get the sense that we're very patient and we're kind of calling calamity when there isn't real calamity happening. 
All right. Um, I'm going to pause there. We need to hit announcements really quick. <clears throat> I also want to bring up that uh, it was brought to my attention that in the first hour, we did not announce the general admission ticket giveaway winner for Pacific Bitcoin. Um, my phone is currently <laughs> currently uh, occupied right now on Spaces. Uh, if anybody on the SWAN team who's listening to this can get a hold of uh, the folks who are doing that and let get get them to let us know as quick as possible, so we can announce that before the end of um, before the end of the show. Let's do that. Uh, a couple of other quick things. You are listening to Cafe Bitcoin. Good morning and welcome. This is the SWAN Private Macro Friday segment um, with the SWAN team and special guests as well, uh, such as Greg Foss and um, others. Um, this is the place for your morning news, a great hangout for some of the smartest minds in the industry to chill, talk about what's going on. It is also a podcast on Fountain, Spotify, and Apple. You can throw us a follow to be notified of when those drop. Um, really cool thing that's going on right now. So Swan has partnered with the Bitcoin Policy Institute. We are going to be, over time, um, pushing really hard to support them, to help raise funds for them, to help... Uh, sort of unify the industry behind them if possible to, because what they're doing is they're doing research, they're writing uh, papers that are educating legislators on what is going on with Bitcoin. It is a super important thing. There's currently a flash stack going on with the stack chain. Um, I'll give Steven Luca, who just came up here, he's, by the way, he's been instrumental in putting this whole thing together with uh, the Bitcoin Policy Institute. So, Stephen, if you want to say a, a couple of quick words, and then we'll go to Peter for Peter's comments on this flash stack. Currently, the stack chainers are crushing this thing right now. If you're a stack chainer, go check it out. Uh, Stephen, do you have any thoughts you want to add here real quick? Yeah, just real quick. I was so, uh, you know, the uh, I think it was uh, Psyduck Spyduck. I want to shout out Psyduck Spyduck. He reached out to me. Uh, and Alex with the idea for this flash stack because the stack chainers saw what we were doing. We're trying to get papers out there that is that are refuting. It's all this research that goes into stuff like the White House report. They're papers by this guy DeVries, who is Digiconomist. You've probably seen those tweets and other papers, which are just, there's huge factual errors in them that could easily be refuted the problem is like they need to be refuted in an academic format and we just haven't had people doing that. So we're trying to fix that. We're trying to change that and we're going to change that. We've already raised, you know, a chunk of money to get the first paper out, but help us publish 12 papers, help us publish 20 papers, help us flood these journals with research that sets the record straight on Bitcoin. And that's going to be good for us. And so I was so happy when the stack chain guys reached out to me, they're coordinating a flash stack. You can see it in the in the nest there. Uh, David Zell, who's the founder of BPI, just just tweeted out the the start of that flash stack. We've already got a couple blocks in that. It's been super cool to see. And just thank you, thank you for all the support to the community, to the stack chain guys. Just really appreciate it, guys. Thank you for the kind words, Stephen. Appreciate it. And um, I'm going to go full on Foss here. Because the idea of stack chain is really simple. I'm gonna I'm gonna talk about a little bit about the FUD. Some people say it's silly. Some people have told us it's gay. Some people have told us that it's just NFTs and a shitcoin. I am telling you, these are the most hardcore Bitcoiners I have ever met. 
in my life that all they want to do is stack sats. They have fun doing it. And if you're not on stack chain, you're fucking stupid. Hell yeah. Okay. <laughs> um, rightio. So hopefully we'll know by the end of the show today who that GA ticket winner is uh, and we'll announce. Uh, if we don't, we'll figure out another way to do it. Like either keep an eye on Swan Twitter or my Twitter or we'll, we'll figure right. it out. We're working on getting it. 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 Yep. Charles Emmons is the winner. Charles Emmons. That's and is at CLA. Uh, actually, that's not the one. That's a different thing. So that, that okay. is a, he won a ticket uh, on the Fold app. So for those of you who don't know who have Fold, go check out your app. You haven't noticed uh, the Pacific Bitcoin has taken over the spin wheel. <laughs> you can win a VIP ticket to, to Pacific Bitcoin. You can win a general admission ticket. You can win up to 40% discount on buying tickets. Um, and you can also win a year of Swan Private membership as options on the daily spin wheel for the Fold app. So Charles Emmons won the uh, the GA ticket on the Fold app spin wheel. We do need to figure out who uh, the the giveaway ticket winner is, and we'll figure it out. We'll let you guys know. Uh, Dr. Jeff's out in the audience throwing you an invite to come up so that we can continue with the uh, the private macro discussion. John, what's next? What is next? I just wanted to give one um, historical piece of data here because we were talking about Fed balance sheet reduction. Uh, will they hit their targets? Um, if you think they're going to be able to hit their targets, I would say uh, you're betting against history. Um, it certainly could happen, but they do not have a good track record of doing this. So, We've looked at the numbers um, since QE really became a persistent thing in the, the GFC. And since then, the longest amount of time the Fed was able to let its balance sheet shrink before starting QE yet again, it was one year and seven months. Uh, that was from February 2018 to September of 2019. And uh, a lot of you probably remember what was the reason they started QE this was the September 2019 uh, repo stress situation. I think it resulted in something like $400 billion of QE additional um, Fed balance sheet assets. And then, but it was kind of overshadowed. A lot of people forgot about it because if you look at the chart, it goes vertical very soon after that. It was obviously March of 2020, uh, quote unquote, due to COVID. And then since the GFC, the longest amount of time that the Fed has been able to hike the Fed funds rate before cutting again, it, it was longer, um, is gradual hikes from October 2015 to June of 2019. But I think the bigger takeaway here is just that every time the Fed, it probably applies to any central bank in the modern era, Anytime they announce a plan of we are going to get our balance sheet down to X number, I don't know if there are any examples of them actually hitting it um, because either it causes too much stress in the market when they start reducing or there's some new crisis which they come in to quote unquote fix with more QE. So yeah, I, if I'm a betting man, do I think the Fed is going to hit their target 
whether it's the monthly target, you know, yearly target, what they tell us is going to be in three years, five years. I would say uh, history shows that they're highly unlikely to hit that. That that's what I was trying to get across. I projected rates; it's going to take them eight years at their current levels. Yeah, and so I I agree with all that. The facts are the facts. Um, I would just point out the U.S. government, the U.S. Treasury, continues to be able to borrow um, in size for thirty years at a time. Thirty-year bonds at about four percent. Think about that. Even though the markets are horrible and they they're not good at keeping their word, they never um, buy enough, pay down enough uh, of the bonds uh, of the balance sheet. Right? They have this massive amount of um, QE they've done, and they're not doing enough QT, even according to what they plan to do. But maybe that's evidence that the Fed has room to um, tighten if inflation persists, even if they can't keep raising rates like Fawcett to whatever it is, the Fed funds rate to 4.5% or something. Although I would say that with a Fed funds rate at three and, a quarter, three and three quarters, if they're raising 75 basis points again, and I think the latest I saw was the market predicting an 80% chance of that, doesn't that get us to 4.5% or maybe I'm not understanding something? But I, I would say my overall argument is that notwithstanding the Fed, Fucking up and not meeting these targets, the U.S. economy continues to be okay. It's not horrible. It's not this disaster that it was in March 2020 or March uh, 2009. So, Terrence, uh, I couldn't even stay down, could I, guys? I'm sorry. Look, first of all, Fed funds is three and a quarter, not three point seven five. I love you, buddy. I love you. Yeah, so your math, your math is cool, except it's it's not seventy five basis points on top of three seventy five. We're only at uh, three point two five right now, Fed funds. So if you do one hundred and twenty five basis points in two successive hikes before Christmas, you'll get to the target range. But here's here's what I gotta stress, people. Like QE infinity is a mathematical certainty. Like, don't you guys understand what a debt spiral means when your balance, when you are growing your deficit just because of the interest coupon on your debt under all scenarios? The only way you solve that debt spiral is by printing money. Now, you could say, oh, everybody in the world is going to come and buy U.S. treasuries. Okay, that's possible, but unlikely. And if that does happen, though, You've crowded out every other borrower in the world because there's just not that much money in the world without printing more of it. So please understand, QE infinity is a mathematical mathematical certainty. Why is it so hard that people don't get that? Like, fuck, you have to print money to solve the debt spiral. That is the definition of a debt spiral. I promise I'm stepping down. Have a great weekend, guys. Learn your fucking mathematics. It's that simple. Okay. Love you. Bye. We love you, Klaus. We love you, brother. <laughs> yeah. I think we all agree on that. It's just a matter of timing. But, yeah, I agree with that. And it's always great to have Klaus um, keeping things in perspective and adding uh, entertainment. I think I think we all agree with that in the long term. That's why we're here in the first place. But I think um, current situations 
just we need to focus on this a little bit because we see winter coming. We see gas prices in, increasing. We see production rates decreasing by two million barrels. We see the reduction of the, the strategic uh, petroleum reserve. We see these mistakes again and again and again across the entire field. And we just like we're worried about the little bombs that are right in front of us. And we know the bigger one's coming. We know, we know they're coming. I shouldn't just use, use bombs, um, but just events. Yeah, I, I agree. Um, matter of time frame. I don't have a super strong view on it, quite frankly. I, I'm in the category of I know it's coming. I, I think the debt spiral has to result in printing. I'm on board with that. What I don't know is if it's two to three months away or two to three years away. It, it's harder. And, you know, I, I don't think it's two to three months away, but, you know, could I be proven wrong? And then maybe everyone will be telling me like, see, John, this Fiat Pons is even worse than you thought like that. Yeah, that could absolutely happen. Um, one thing I will throw out there, and this is uh, something I have some firsthand experience with is the corporate bond market. That's what I'd spent most of my time doing when I was at Goldman. But there's this phenomenon of a maturity wall that always comes up in corporate bond or really any bond markets, but the corporate bond market always focused on it. And it basically was, is just, you know, you can buy yourself a lot of time by going into debt, but eventually that debt comes due and you have to refinance it. You typically have to refinance it in our debt-based system because there's a lot of problems if, if the debt gets uh, even just paid down, not even defaulted on. So what a lot of corporate management teams, CFOs, I mean, you basically had to be brain dead to not take out debt during 2020, 2021 um, at these really low rates. So what a lot of them did, if you look at the issuance stats of really any corporate debt market, they were issuing bonds at historically low rates, um, fairly low spreads too. So very low all-in yield. And they're issuing at least three years, but in many cases, they're issuing five years, 10 years, 30 years if they could. And if you look at the maturity wall just for the US dollar high yield corporate part of the bond market, it really doesn't start to get concerning until 2025. And again, that's because these CFOs saw in 2020 and 2021, they said, okay, I've got a chance to buy myself and my company some time here by issuing a bunch of debt at a very low coupon. So that's why you see this wall start to come up in 2025. So I know a lot of people talk about what could go wrong in the treasury market. There have been some really good debates and, and threads on that. Um, but I just wanted to raise this point of the corporate bond market. I think the stress is not two to three months away. I think it's more like a, a couple of years away. I'm not saying everything's going to be fine for the next few years, but just wanted to throw it out there. At least when you look at the corporate bond market, I think it's uh, not immediate stress that we're going to see. I agree, man. I think, um, you know, anybody who thinks that the Fed's going to pivot anytime soon, I just disagree completely. Um, I think the Fed has made it very clear that they're looking to see the labor market start to soften is what they say. And with the jobs data that came out this morning with the unemployment rate, and the payrolls exceeding expectations and actually dropping, there's just no way the Fed's going to pivot anytime soon. 
with CPI at record highs. So I don't think anybody should expect that, uh, bearing some kind of black swan event. Um, now, <laughs> I see Joe in the or Joe's up on the stage now. I was I had to be a labor force participation rate reply or when he posted the unemployment rate because I do have problems with it. I think it's a flawed metric that doesn't take into account the two and a half million workers that disappeared since before the pandemic began. Um, but I have to remind myself that it doesn't really matter because policy. This is this is what policymakers look at, and this is what politicians look at. And so we have to think like them, even though they kind of think stupidly, in my opinion. You have to think like them if you're going to predict what their moves are. So um, the job data this morning, the job data Clip this morning that. showed. Clip that. That was fucking fantastic. Yeah. No, I mean, like, so you, you anybody who expects it is, is smoking crack right now, I think. You should not expect the Fed pivot anytime soon. Now, the one thing that we talked about was if international foreign policy objectives intervene with the Fed policies, if the government and politicians tell the Fed, yo, you need to chill out because you know, the risk of war is increasing and you cannot wreck the economies of our major allies um, or the currencies of our major allies, that could be something that, that stops the Fed, from pause, that makes them pause because they have to start considering that at some point, in my opinion. Um, and the last thing I'll say is that these bankers, man, these banks are rolling in profits right now. Um, you know, last time inflation burned hot, consumers could put money in the bank and it, they could watch it grow similar to the prices or on the store shelves, and that would ease some of the pain. But right now, the gap between what banks pay depositors and what they earn from lending money to borrowers hasn't been this wide since 50 years. All right. So the average savings account pays a skimpy 0.06%. So right now, they just refuse to pay savers. And so when are banks going to increase the deposit rates? I have to have to throw that out there because I think it's completely bullshit that they haven't raised the deposit rates despite rates exploding higher. So that's that's all I'll say. Wow. Spicy. Clip that. MVP award, Sam Callahan. I'm paraphrasing. You have to make yourself think stupidly to understand how politicians and economists think. <laughs> okay. Um, we haven't heard from Dr. Jeff yet this morning, uh, or Joe, Carlosari, or Matt C. Good morning. Um, any of you guys want to jump in here, feel, feel free. We've got about seven minutes left. Um, we'll get some comments from you guys, and then we'll wrap up with Sam Callahan, John Har, and move to wrap the show. I'll just jump in. I could not agree with more of what Sam's saying uh, said a minute ago. Like in the eyes of policymakers and people that uh, are going to make decisions about our lives, uh, this economy is red hot. It's white hot. I mean, like the, every metric that they look at, which again they're all flawed. We can go through all the, the issues and the data. Um, the current indications show an economy that is much stronger than anybody would have expected with, you know, 300 bips of hikes this year. Um, I, I think even, you know, the most uh, possum, uh, positive, uh, you know, bullish economists early la uh, late last year would have said by this point, you'll see things breaking. And we don't, we don't see things breaking. Things uh, see, you know, certain markets stressed and uh, that's, you know, take it for what it, what it is. Maybe that changes in the next month or two months, but, you know, record low unemployment by the, the bogus metric they use, that's not going to give anyone cause to, to transition or shift. The one thing I will say about Sam's comment about, uh, you know, the, the, the other countries and taking uh, consideration of like the geopolitical risks, look at what Bostic, look at what Waller, look at what various Fed governors have come out and said in the last 48 hours. 
um, quoting that they that financial stability in foreign markets is not our problem. It's not our issue. The labor market, not our issue. Even Kashkari came out, who's one of the more dovish folks, and said, listen, we expect there to be breakage in financial markets. We expect things to crack. Um, that's not going to be uh, his exact phrasing was that there's a high bar for us to change our policy at this point. It's going to take more than just mere financial instability. So the notion that there's a pause or pivot coming, I think, is a fantasy. Um, there's nothing that suggests that anywhere in the foreseeable future. I'll just jump in here to, to third that now. Joe just seconded what Sam said, but to, uh, to third it, I will say that, um, uh, you know, I, I've been watching closely and listening closely to the Fed officials to hear how they would respond to, you know, the UN's request and, the, and we're breaking the world with a strong dollar. Um, they don't care. And, and, they've, and again, so, so if they had said, oh, yeah, we're watching that closely, uh, we're going we're gonna to make sure we're not hurting, uh, you know, too many other nations, emerging market economies, our G7 allies, blah, blah, blah. They're not saying any of that. They're saying the exact opposite. They're basically saying we're selfish. We're looking out for number one. Whether that's right or wrong isn't the point. I look at what does this mean for investment implications. I think we should continue to expect a stronger than expected economy. I think the dollar continues to strengthen. I think rates continue to remain higher. I think inflation continues to remain sticky. Uh, we're going to see high rates. We're going to see the Fed continue to raise rates. Uh, and this problem, and Joe and I were uh, DMing about this a little earlier today, not to dox Joe, but um, I think that this extends into 2023. Um, we're going to be talking about these same kind of problems, and and we haven't even hit the recession part yet. So whether or not it's a soft landing for the economy, uh, it, uh, to me, doesn't really matter because uh, the risk assets can respond sort of differently um, to that. To that, so I still think we're going to see a harsh landing for risk assets, even if it's kind of a softish landing for the economy. So just uh, keep your eyes open out there, guys. There's still a lot more uh, downside to come, in my opinion. I guess I'll uh, I'll reiterate I'll follow on the same point that uh, Joe and Dr. Jeff just made uh, on a personal level. Yeah, um, back in the late spring, early summer, I've mentioned we we brought my sister-in-law and brother-in-law over from Germany uh, back to the U.S. to work remotely and live here. Um, and you know we had a lot of fellow we had a lot of friends and even fellow Bitcoiners over there in Berlin tell us you know you guys are probably overreacting. I think you're being a little hyperbolic and we were trying to tell them, no, no, this is a, this is a year plus, maybe two year problem. That's going to be painful before it gets worked out. And look what happened. If you're, if you were earning a salary in, in uh, Britain or the EU, you've had a 20% loss in your uh, paychecks purchasing power against the dollar 20% in a year. That's awful. And then enjoy your exponentially higher energy prices compared to last winter. It's terrible. So, I mean, yeah, just some food for thought. It, it, uh, you know, we talk on the high level of the macro, but this hits the individual in, in um, really meaningful ways. It, it hits more uh, wealthy people, right, and upper middle class who have risk assets to lose money in from this ridiculous bubble we've been having since March 2009. So it doesn't really affect the poor as much. And we know the job numbers are messed up. They, they care more about just having a job and not having to work 
three or four jobs. That, that's not that's aren't. not quite no, fair. Actually, I don't yeah, I don't agree with that. Exactly. Yeah, yeah it's very, it's not that. quite fair because the people in the rest of the world are affected dramatically by this. Well, not just the rest of the world. That, but, not but just the rest of the world. Okay, go ahead. Just a quick, a quick, a quick point, a quick point on the unemployment, on the employment report, right? Great. Wonderful. But did you look at the wages? Wages were up plus 5% year over year. Nominal. If you subtract 8% inflation, real wages went down by 3%. The bottom of the socioeconomic ladder in the United States of America is being decimated. And uh, I think it's important to remember that because that's going to cause longer-term structural problems in our society. Yeah, yeah and and you're right, know, Alex. And the, and, oh, sorry, Matt. Go ahead. Okay, a uh, quick point. And we just know we've seen how many recessions have we seen in our lifetime. We know that the bottom, sadly, gets laid off and fired first. First, the employees get laid off, and it's only a depression when the bosses and the company goes under. And that's, I agree with all that. That's not what we're seeing right now with unemployment at three and a half percent. Yeah, but Terrence, you weren't, you weren't seeing a, you weren't seeing us being in a recession either. This isn't fair to Terrence because he keeps getting trapped in the matrix. It's, it's difficult to, to actually hear what you're saying. So, um, <laughs> Unfortunately, uh, we're not going to be able to fully explore that point. Um, Terrence, next time you've got a better connection, maybe we can revisit this. But we're pretty much at the end of the show. Um, Let's get some closing comments from Sam Callahan and John Haar, uh, and then we'll move to wrap. Sam, did you have any uh, closing thoughts? Yeah. um, You know, I'd just like to say I just think it's crazy that the Fed's policy is just to wreck wreck everybody <laughs> i just think that's crazy isn't um, that crazy it really is yeah. crazy that just blo- it pisses me off it blows my mind yeah man i mean like it's, this Hold is on, war it's man crazy <laughs> if you're the fed because it doesn't wreck them they've got personal interest in well this yeah game, there's I guarantee a- <laughs> you you know that they're they're looking out for themselves well yeah there's not going to be many job losses at the fed that's for sure <laughs> but um you know, the other thing I'll say is in terms of like the odds that the Fed will have to pause because of uh, international uh, geopolitical issues um, and how they've said that they don't care about that. Um, they haven't done that in the last 30 years, but the last 30 years have been relatively peaceful and low inflation. And now we have global inflation and rising geopolitical risks. And the last time where the Fed and the uh, the Treasury, really, it's really the governments, the G7 finance ministers got together and, uh, you know, cooperated was in the early 80s um, with the Plaza Accord in the 1985, but also just how bad things got during the Latin American debt crisis and the strong dollar was wrecking a lot of the economy. Um, And so I I think they can talk a hard game, but the uncertainties around uh, the geopolitical environment, um, I think, could cause a pivot even though they're saying not to, because um, obviously you look around the world and there's just a lot of issues going on in terms of the, you know, geopolitics. So that's kind of what I would say about that, but uh, great, great conversation, guys. Yeah. I'll just add um, good, good conversation. Love hearing everyone's thoughts as usual. 
And uh, yeah, kind of building on what Sam said, you know, we debate all these data points that come out, how the Fed's going to respond. And I think you do have to do that because that's the world we live in. Um, and that's how the powers that be uh, respond. And that's how they make policy. But just an important reminder for all of us, and I know the Bitcoin community is aware of this, but you know, let's just keep in mind that this system is so ridiculously flawed. And these are people who are operating with the idea that if you centrally manipulate money, uh, the price of money or the supply of money, they actually believe that that can lead to economic growth or that they can control CPI like they're managing a car. Um, so I think we just need to remember that and, and remember the fact that we reject it entirely. Uh, when you manipulate money, you it cannot, by definition, lead to real economic growth. What it does lead to is wealth redistribution because you get to decide who wins and who loses. Uh, it leads to price distortions. It leads to misallocated capital. Stephen Lubka, shout out, put together a really good piece on capital misallocation. I'm sure he'll be on to talk about it soon if he hasn't already. And it leads to the business cycle, which is recessions and the painful process of getting out of that. So, yeah, I know, you know, you'll never hear a central banker say anything that I just said. But, you know, let's keep that in mind, even as we analyze their insane way of thinking. Awesome stuff. What a great conversation. <laughs> I love this stuff. So many smart people. Um, well, Alex was uh, leading us out with some probably some really kind words, but his uh, Twitter crashed. So, uh, Sam, do you uh, do you mind uh, leading us out of this one, man? Like, we could try to get him back, but I don't know. It's going to work. Uh, hello? <laughs> Sam lost too. Sam, Sam Sam's too. gone too. So I guess Ant or who, whoever feels like saying crush it and uh, you know helping us out with this, uh, this would be appreciated. Who's got that? Who's got the outro memorized? Go for it. Well, I can I can say that uh, we're on a mission. Get out there and crush it. Thank you so much for for showing up here at uh, at at Cafe Bitcoin, uh, and uh, you know. We do this every day. Oh, you're going to do it, Sam? All right. I think tw uh, Sam doesn't know that he's crashed. <laughs> or his, his mic on his mixer is muted. Or that. Is, can you un is that? What God it is? damn it, people. Just stay and on that, the mission. There you go, Sam. Snaps. We got you now. We got you, Sam. It doesn't <laughs> You were doing a great job, man. I don't need yeah, to. Yeah, I thought you were doing get fantastic, on the mission, Peter. <laughs> get on the mission. You know, happy Friday. Thanks for listening. Don't shit coin, um, you know, all that, all that good stuff. You guys are great. Love all the speakers up here. Thanks for listening. Um, and go touch some grass. <laughs>